Well, good morning, y'all. Good morning. I hope you are uh, spiritually hungry today. I hope you are uh, ready for uh, uh, power from the Holy Word of God today. Uh, and, and really, I want to start off today by saying, uh, man, you, you guys are really amazing. The questions that you have asked have been so good and so deep. And I'm looking forward to going deeper and deeper in those. And even this simple truth that I'm seeing happen, just hearing from uh, uh, the rest of our staff and from hearing from some of our students and sitting in with some of our classes, uh, you are, you're, you're, you're not just getting it, you're beginning to apply what it means to have good, healthy, godly, biblical theology. You're asking questions about songs. You're asking questions about things we've always believed, things we've always been taught. And now you're learning where to go back to and how to find the truth. And I'm just telling you, I'm praising God for that every single second that that's happened. And today is no different than that. Matter of fact, as I was sharing with our worship team a little bit ago, there are uh, a couple of different places that we can be in as we talk about the study of, of who goes to heaven and hell today because there's a lot of misconceptions about this. And, uh, you know, this really affects two different ways that we sit or lie or are in a state of being right now. Uh, because whether this affects how you're going to, if you will, lie in a casket one day what your death is, is going to look like after you have left this physical body and gone to be with Jesus or not. I also want you to know how you handle people when that occasion comes. What do you what do? You do? What do you say? How do you handle the, the whole uh, death and funeral thing? Because it's way too real. It's, it's almost every single week for us. In some shape, form, or fashion, we know somebody. And with the onset of uh, Facebook and such, man, we, we never miss anybody, whether it's somebody that was a teacher or somebody from high school or somebody that, was, that we lose in an accident or a dear loved one. And so as I just shoot straight with you, I've been to way too many funerals. I've done way too many funerals. It, it's unreal the number of times that I've had to to sit with what I call the sad curtains and the sad lights and the dark suits and all the Kleenex boxes. And as I, I think about that, um, there is always a, a, a dimension to these services that you can't let go. And it's the fact that we're going to miss that person that we love so much. And you can't get past that. Matter of fact, if you get past that and you get a cold heart, something's really, really, really wrong. But I know, I, I know the truth like you or most of you in this room do now about what happens when we die. But I've, and I've gone over it over and over in my mind again. Matter of fact, Drew and I were having this conversation. You're going to have Drew up on the stage a minute and we're going to have a, a back and forth again, kind of like we did last week. But in all my years, and probably hundreds and hundreds of funerals through the years, I don't think I've ever seen a pastor come to the stage and say, you know what, 
by everything we know about this person, without a shadow of a doubt, they're in hell right now. We laugh about it because we've never heard that. We don't want to hear that. I mean, we think about this. I, I think about the way I think about this. I mean, it would be devastating. It would be hurtful. And, I, and you just got to ask this question to be honest with you. Would it change anything? Well, not for them. The decision was made before they breathed their last breath. That was already over. But we tend to think about, we tend to talk about our loved ones and how much we look forward to seeing them, them in heaven forever. And I just have to ask us from a theological standpoint, from a biblical theological standpoint, based on what? You're not saying see you later, you're saying goodbye, but you're saying that based on what? So what's really going on in your heart? What are you basing your faith on? And for the person that, in a sense, you're, you're judging and saying, man, they got it all right. They're, they're with Jesus right now. What are you basing that on? So before we dig into this, uh, and, and this is not intended to be comical, but it almost ends up comical because you will, you will face this probably in the next um, wake or visitation or funeral service that you go to. Uh, one of the toughest things about going to a funeral is just knowing what to say and what not to say. And so I was reading and preparing for this about a week or so ago, and I came across a uh, Reader's Digest version of what not to say at a funeral. Now, you laugh about it now, but reality is you probably said some of these things. So here we go on this right here. And, and you've heard this, time heals all wounds. It's something you should never say at a funeral because... It does, but I'll tell you what, I can remember like yesterday, and it's been 20 years since my grandmother passed away, and those wounds are still here, and does that mean I don't know that I, that I really believe she's with Christ because of her faith? I 100%. Do I, do I depend on Christ 100% for my, oh, 100%. Do I truly believe that was a see you later and not a goodbye? 100%. But does that heal every single wound there? No. Those tears will still come until I'm with Jesus just like they did last week. So don't say that. It, it, no. Here's another one. Never say, I know how you feel at a funeral. I don't care if you've gone through exactly the same thing. Loss of a spouse, loss of a spouse, loss of a grandmother, loss of a grandmother, uh, loss of a best friend, loss of a best friend. No, it hits everybody differently. You, don't, you, you might have a little hint, but you don't know exactly how they feel. Never say, well, she's in a better place. Well, if they know Christ, they are definitely in a better place. But, you know, from our perspective, they're not in a better, I mean, yeah, they're with Christ, but man, we want them here. Uh, a tough one. Let me know what I can do. It's something you should never say at a funeral. You say, why? Because most of us never do. Most of us never do. Here's another one. Uh, never say at least, at least you didn't suffer. Seriously, is that what they want to hear at that moment? Or at least they made it to their birthday. What? What? Or at least she died doing what she loved. 
I just, and I've heard these things. And, and here's another one I hear at every single funeral. Never say, well, it was his time. You don't say. Seriously? Just think about what's coming out of our minds. We need to think before it comes out. Never say, you know what? You just need to, you just need to say goodbye. Life must go on. You know, there, there's probably a time and a place for that. But standing over a casket is not the place to say that. And, and this, is, this is the one that crawls on me. Never say they look so good. They look better than they've ever looked. They are not even there if you've looked at the word at all. It's just an empty shell there. They're either with Jesus or they're not. How in the world do they look better than they've ever looked? Maybe the best thing we can do when we go to a place like that and we have to be a part of something like that, if you have this kind of relationship with them, big old hug. You don't really have to say a word. You might say you love them. Make sense? So now you're better when you're dealing with what's already happened. Okay? Uh, this is kind of a, a backup and a, and a help out from last week. Uh, Shane Pruitt is like, man, the, the king of quick quips from the uh, North American Mission Board, the, the SIN network with the Alabama Baptist, and, uh, not the, with the North American Baptist. And, and I love this right here. He said, when Christians pass away, God isn't gaining new angels, right? Theologians in the house, right? He's not gaining new angels. Rather, he's calling worshipers home. That's what Jesus is doing in that moment. Now, let's go to the scripture passage. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll go with me to Acts chapter 17, verse 10 to 12. Acts chapter 17, verse 10 to 12. This is Luke writing, and in this spot, he's writing about the Apostle Paul. And he says this. He says, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to, Paul and Silas to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, why did they go to the Jewish synagogue? Well, that's where all the people were. That's where people gathered. And so they gathered there. They went to teach them there. And verse 11, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. So they were willing to listen. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. And they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. You see what's happening there? They dug in. They dug in. They examined the scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying and Silas were saying was true. And then verse 12, and as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. Now I have to stop there for just a second. One, they were all together men and women. Two, the Greeks and the Jews were in the same spot together in the same synagogue where they had gathered together to listen to Paul and Silas. So this was like a crazy thing that was going on. So uh, a couple of, of things here that I think will help me and you just understanding how we're supposed to take God's word in. And the first one is this. Uh, are you open to God's message? It's a question for you. Are, are, you, are you open? Is your, is your heart willing? Are you willing to listen to 
to God's message for you. Some will always be more willing to listen, but the question is for you, are you willing to listen? The second one is this, do you search the scriptures to confirm what you're being taught? And I know you're hearing this every single week. This is like week four, week five of this. But I want you to dig deep and say, Lord, is this really what you're teaching in your scripture? Because I promise you, you can go to your cable TV, you can go to your uh, uh, Spotify, or you can go to YouTube, you can go to Facebook, and you can watch a hundred different churches this morning. And you can find so many spots where the Word of God is not being taught. And you need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and then go to the Scriptures and say, is Paul and Silas teaching the truth? Are Ross and Drew teaching? Is Roger teaching? Is Sarah? Is Jessica? Is your teacher, your leader, your, your men? A lot of our men's groups are starting this week with Man Church. And you ask that question. Is Alan teaching the truth? Is Ross teaching the truth? Is, is, uh, is uh, Ryan Kiefer teaching the truth? You have to look at the word that way. You have to realize that you are responsible for making sure that you are examining God's word. And the third one, the last one is this. Has your life been changed by the truth of God's word? You see, if you hear the truth and then you confirm that this is what God is teaching then something ought to happen on the inside. Something ought to click in your brain so that who you were and what you were hanging on to, if it wasn't truth, it becomes truth. It becomes what comes from God's word and God's word only. It, 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 I think about it like this. This, this wasn't just a, a good sermon they text-proofed. Was the grammar right? Was it in context, but it changed their lives. And that's what has to happen in mind in your life. So this is a, a great example of how to arrive at good theology. They searched the scriptures. They realized that it related to them, it, that, it was, that it was very relevant to their lives. Paul and Silas had spoken with words that the people could understand. He spoke in their vernacular, their idiom. He spoke in a way they could understand. And then it had practical application that led people to trust Jesus. I'm just telling you, that ought, what, that ought to be what happens in our lives every single day. Every single time we dig into his word, every time we hear something from his word, we test it. We see how it is relevant in our lives because it will be relevant in our lives. And then we let it change our lives. Now I'm going to ask Drew to come and join me, and we're going to talk about two or three things together here. So while he's coming up, I'm going to make it a little more comfortable for us up here. Actually, keep me from moving around too much. Thank you, man. All right, so the question today, and it's, a, it's, it's one you've got to be careful with, is... Um, does everyone go to heaven? Does everybody go to heaven? Because we, we want to believe that, but is that truth? Is that actually what happens? And so um, the, the first breakout of this is uh, do only good people go to heaven? And the biblical truth on this is that in reality, there are no good people. 
When you look at the definition of good according to God's standard, his standard is different from our standard. So when God said it is good, as in when he created in the beginning, he wasn't talking about as in good, better, and best. Good was perfect. Good was exactly what he intended. And I don't care how good, how good you feel about yourself. You're not in the room. That's not who we are. There's no perfect people in this room. Uh, I, I found this passage in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 and following. You know part of it. You're familiar with it. He says this. He says, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than since we have... Um, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? It's him, because when we were in our sense, when we were still messed up, he saved us. So all of us have missed the mark of perfection that God created uh, he is holy and we aren't so Drew you had a comment uh, I think Romans 3 yeah well enemies is a strong word there right? <laughs> that kind of puts it in perspective for us because we all like to think we're better than we are because we compare to each other but Romans 3 makes it clear that, that none of us are righteous. It's a, it's a great passage to go to when you're uh, trying to figure this out. It says in verse 10 that, that no one is righteous, uh, not even one of us, um, that no one does good, that all of us have turned away. And then it goes on to those, those famous verses that we know in, in verse 23 that reminds us that we all fall short of the glory of God. Uh, but then it reminds us that it's through Christ uh, that we're saved because See, good is not just uh, a comparative term. Good biblically means, as Ross said, perfect, uh, righteous, sinless. And, and so good is not the term as we normally use it. We have to understand goodness biblically is perfection, is righteousness. And so if we're, if we're honest, it doesn't take long for us to recognize that, that none of us are perfect. All of us have broken God's law. Every one of us has lied. Uh, we've all stolen something. Uh, we've all disrespected our parents. We've all coveted, lusted. You can go on and on, right? All of us are guilty of those things. Uh, now, the question is, you may not agree that God's law is good. You may not agree with God's law, but none of us can say that we haven't missed the mark, as yeah. you say. Yeah, we've, we've all broken it, and... Um... It's actually hard to admit that, but the reality is that's actually the first step to come to Christ, is admitting that we have broken his law. Uh, it's the picture that we, have give, we are given, uh, seriously, if you go back all the way to Genesis, and you follow all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, you, you look at the way the disciples shared, and they pointed out, helped us realize we don't have it all right, and we're not going to have it all right. So another question that we're, that we're asked frequently is, uh, is there a scale in heaven where good deeds are weighed against bad deeds? And the idea is that so as long as I have more good than bad, then surely, surely I get heaven. Now, uh, Drew, we didn't talk about this, but I, as I was thinking through this, um, 
Christianity, following Christ, is different from every other faith. Everything else is about what we do, so the scale is important. And in Christ, it's completely different. The scale is weighed completely opposite because it's not about our, what we've done. It's about what he did, and it's about our faith in him. So, why? If, if we do good enough, and it's better than our bad, do we get to go to heaven? And no matter how well we get our sin thing together, just like you talked about, we're going to miss the mark no matter what. So Jesus was asked on several occasions uh, what someone needed in order to do, uh, in order to, to get or enter into the kingdom of heaven or to be with him in paradise. And, and the passage that keeps coming up is one that we mentioned last week is uh, the rich man in Matthew chapter 19. He asked a question. He's, if you, uh, Jesus said, if you want to receive eternal life, you need to keep my commandments. Now, the rest of the story goes like this. Yeah, I, I love the way Jesus addresses this because the, the rich man comes and asks him the, the, a good question, right? It's, it's a valid question. And, and Jesus says, well, he first addresses the issue of good. Uh, and, and, then he, and then he says, well, you know the commandments. And then he lists off a few. Uh, and if you notice about that list of what he lists off, he lists all the commandments that relate to how we relate to one another, Right. And so the guy responds, well, I've, I've kept all of these since I was young. In other words, I'm a good guy. I've, I've done it right. I've done things correctly. But it seems that he recognized there was still something missing because he had come with that question. And then Jesus really goes and, and he points out the truth uh, because it's bigger than that. It's bigger than how you treat one another. It also matters how we relate to God, right? So he kind of went from the second part of the commandments right back to one two three and four right okay so in uh, matthew 19 21 jesus goes on the instant jesus told him says if you want to be perfect go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me yeah so he lists all the back (laughs) half of the commandments then he goes back to number one and says there's still one problem, right? You, you love something more than you love God. And so even though this guy seemed to be good, he was probably a respected uh, uh, member of, of the society. Yeah. You know, probably everybody thought he was good because your wealth was associated with being right with God in that day. Uh, but yet Jesus very clearly addresses the problem. And the problem was commandment number one, you love your possessions more than you love God. So this exchange really makes it clear that no matter how good you seem to be, no matter good you think you are, um, if you don't love God perfectly, uh, then you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven on your own. <laughs> Thankfully, we have Jesus. Right? I mean, ultimately, what Jesus was telling there, I mean, if you'll just be perfect. Yeah. If you'll be perfect, you can have this. So then you've got to love what the disciples ask following this. And that's what this next scripture passage is in Matthew 19, 25, and 26, because the disciples were astounded, okay? Their minds were blown. That's what happens here. Their minds were blown. And then they asked this, then who in the world can be saved? Because <laughs> it's like it clicked. So he, he looks good on the outside. Right. And then, okay, now if you'll just sell everything, give it all the poor, then, right? Then come follow me. So they goes on and says that Jesus looked at them intently, and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. 
But with God, everything is possible. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus uses several illustrations uh, saying, you have heard it said, but I say. Uh, You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've what? You've already committed adultery. He says, do not commit murder. But if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. So we got a bunch of murderers and adulterers on the stage and in the room. And he says this. He says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And the takeaway is that while we are still called to keep his law, we have to know that we will miss the mark. And Jesus knew it would be like this. That's why the cross was not a a, a backup plan. The cross was the plan from the very, very beginning. So the The whole idea of the scale is an open door for the ultimate fail. Because you won't outweigh your evil. And and what if, what if on that last moment, what if on that last moment it was dependent on the scale falling just right and you messed up just one more time, right before you breathe your last breath, that one misstep. And and honestly, we should be thankful for the way that that God... uh, chooses to make salvation available for us free and by faith so uh, we'll look at this a little bit deeper in a moment so one last question I want to hit and it's a good question it's just a hard one to think about would a would a loving God send anybody to hell and as I kind of stepped back and I looked at this and tried to think the way people think because we've all asked this question before the, the first thing that has to come to mind, what do, what do we mean by loving God? I mean, if we mean by loving God, for, for most of our society, this means a God who is non-confrontational. A God who uh, is, is completely, maybe he's completely tolerant. He just puts up with us uh, so that we, as his creation, are free to do whatever we like, whatever we want, and there's no punishment for wrong. Because a loving God would never do that, right? And we're good because we think we're good. So we'll go to heaven. Uh, I was reading on Got Questions. I pointed you there several times, and I still encourage you to go back there. I read this about this specific question. He said this, uh, the idea that allowing people to go to hell is an unloving act on God's part. If we humans decide that God is someone or, or God is somehow wrong to allow unrepentant sinners to pay their deserved penalty, then we have declared that we are more loving than God is. And some of us think that's who we are. Yeah. I think we've all probably struggled with that question. Um... We've all gotten, maybe that just for a second we thought we had it figured out or we were wiser or we were more loving than God, as you said. But I think we really reveal our heart whenever it comes to us forgiving someone that's wronged us, right? Mm -hmm. Because we struggle to forgive. When somebody's hurt us, we struggle to forgive. So we, we say, why would God do this? But at the same time, we hold things against people who have wronged us, even though we've probably wronged them and wronged other people. And so I think that's very revealing about the truth there but what I think we really miss is when we 
just say that God is loving and we don't look at how, like, the fullness of God's character, right? We, we only pick that one attribute of him and focus on it. We forget that he's also just. So at the same time he is loving, he is perfectly just, and he is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly righteous, and he's perfectly wrathful, and he's perfectly jealous. Mm. He is all of the things that the Bible says he is all at the same time. And, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that, I think. And, and so we miss out on the fullness of who God is. And, and then we, we really um, just miss the beauty of his grace. Because if there is no wrath towards sin, then God's grace isn't as amazing. If everybody gets in, then there's nothing special about it. You know, it's kind of the mentality of everybody getting a trophy. If everybody gets a trophy, then there's no declared winner. It's nothing special. And that's a, obviously a, a pale comparison <laughs> here. But, but, but without God's justice and his wrath towards sin, we can't fully embrace and celebrate his grace and his love. And, and that's what I think we miss whenever we say, well, why would a loving God send someone to hell? Uh, and the reality is, he doesn't. Yeah. So... Yeah, so we misunderstand what it means to say a loving God, right. and we redefine that, and then we fail to realize that, um, that in his righteousness, in his holiness, uh, you know, he can't come into the presence of, of unholiness. That's why we have to have the blood of Christ that, that is, shows that righteousness. So because God is love, Everything he does is a perfect expression of his love. Everything he does. And so God doesn't send anyone to hell, but he does give us, as he's given from the beginning of time, he gives us a choice to trust him by faith or not to trust him by faith. He's done this from the beginning of time. Our choices will actually, uh, they'll dictate our, our final destination. That is made before we're actually lying in the casket in the funeral home. So thank you, Drew. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. Um, and again, y'all keep those great questions coming there. Uh, they help so much. I believe they help so many people. Just uh, one verse going along with this. Actually, it's beyond the verses that we're familiar with in this. But John chapter 3 and verse 16 and following uh, says this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we usually stop right there. But go on in verse 17. But God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. That is Jesus. And then go on. Verse 18. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. That means they put their faith there. Everything is dependent on Christ. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So to not trust is to deny. That's blasphemy. It's, this, it's the one separating thing that happens between us and God. Verse 19 says, and, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. I found this and got questions too. Again, there's some good stuff in here. You just got to go search for it. It said this, a better wording for this. If God is love, then why do some people go to hell? Not that he makes them, 
But if God is love, why wouldn't you want that? Why would you choose this other? But people choose it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 to 20. Uh, it says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them for Ever since the world, look at this, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse of not knowing God. So when we deny God, the world, this earth, his creation has been screaming, but look. But feel, but taste and see, but they refuse it. God made us different. There's a whole lot talked about AI, artificial intelligence right now. And if there's any being on this earth that is not AI, it is the human being. Actually, according to the word, we were created in the very image of a holy God. And God has not and will never force anyone to trust or to follow him to go to heaven or to be pressed away and go to hell. But the other side is equally true. God, God doesn't force people to go to hell. He allows them to make that decision. It's a choice that we have to make. So... The last part of this here, and we just can't leave this off, good theology on, on how we get to heaven. Because it's not our goodness, it's not a scale. It's not the fact that uh, just God is so good so he'll never send anybody to hell. It's not any of these. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20 actually looks like Paul looked back at Ecclesiastes when he was uh, writing Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. He says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. That's way back in Ecclesiastes, and here we are in the New Testament reading about the salvation that comes from Christ. God knew, God knew this. His choice was given to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they made bad choices, and we make bad choices. If they hadn't, we would have. God even made a way. He made a sacrificial system where uh, an animal was sacrificed, a blood covering that began after the first sin. You'll remember that the covering that God gave Adam and Eve required the, the death or the sacrifice of an animal. And this would continue until God gave his son for the sacrifice of many, all who would believe and trust by faith in him. So it didn't end, it was fulfilled through the blood of Christ, through his sacrifice through the death of his body and the shedding of his blood that was for you and for me. Again, it's John chapter 3 and verse 16. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's what he offers to us in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Again, and I hate to keep talking about funerals, but this is said in funerals so many times because it needs to be heard. No matter what decision this person that's lying in this casket has already made, Jesus told him, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. And no one can come to the Father 
except through me. And then one more passage in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. No other name, no other way, no other place, no other faith. Only Christ. And some of you say, well, that's exclusive. Yeah, Jesus is exclusive like that. And he can. When you're king of kings and lord of lords, Lord God Almighty, Emmanuel, God with us, yeah, you can be exclusive. And if we take anything else, then we deny who he said he was. When he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So once we put our faith in Jesus alone, he gives us the security to know that we know him. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 in the Christian Standard Bible, he says this, Apostle Paul again, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The implication there is clear. Once you got him, you got him. We're going to dig deeper into this next week because there's a lot of misconceptions about what happens once we come to Christ. Can we lose it? We're going to dig deeper into that. But this is your question today. If you are in any way relying on your goodness to get to heaven, it's time to let go of that myth because it's terrible theology. Shane Pruitt said it like this, the gospel isn't only about changing where you'll live for eternity, it's also about changing how you'll live for today. And I believe that God wants us to learn to live differently today because of our faith and our trust in Him. Jesus said this so simply. John the Baptist has already said it as he was making the way. His disciples repeated this over and over again. Peter, James, John, Luke, Matthew, Jesus, 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 Paul, Paul, Paul. Two words, repent, believe, saying those are the only way to get to Jesus. Repenting of what you already know. And you got to realize just like the rich man did, you might as well keep on asking because there's going to be one more you're going to get wrong. You repent of everything you know. And then it becomes a daily thing, a moment-by-moment thing that we repent of those things. But it's just a starting point. Because it's our faith in Christ that changes us from the inside out. Not just to the man who lived and walked on this earth, but the man, God, who died for you on the cross to change eternity for you if you'll put your faith in Him. At that point, no concern of hell. He changes you from the inside out. I want you to stand where you are. If Christ has never changed you, if you've never repented of your known sins, if you've never put your faith in Jesus the Christ, then today is that day. Today is the day that this needs to happen, and it needs to happen in this place. 
Some of you, you've just bought into this bad theology for whatever reason. You may need to find yourself at the altar and just put yourself down on your knees before a holy God. I don't care if it's in your chair. I don't care if it's in the back of this room. I don't care where it is. It's just that it happens. And if you've never trusted Christ, come talk to me or Drew. Let's figure this thing out. Biblically. Father, we need you. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the only true theology that comes from your word. Cleanse us from the, the poor things we've been taught. May we cling to your truth and your truth alone. Be with my friends in this room, my friends who are listening online right now that need to make some movement towards you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If God's speaking to you, you come right now. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't wonder what other people are thinking. You come right now.